Today's episode is sponsored by Crosscut Sewing. Located in Melrose, Massachusetts, or online at crosscutsewingco.com, Crosscut offers fun and modern fabric for all of your sewing projects. In addition to quilting cotton, Crosscut offers a wide variety of apparel fabrics like denim, chambray, jersey knit, canvas, corduroy, flannel, and more. Use the code WSN18 to save 20% on your next fabric purchase from Crosscut Sewing Company. Thank you so much, Crosscut. And now here's the show. episode 114 of the Walsh Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Today, we are talking about YouTube with my guest, Melanie Ham. Melanie is a YouTuber and blogger who loves to create and share easy to follow sewing, quilting, and crochet video tutorials to empower your creativity. She discovered sewing shortly after graduating from college with an art degree with an emphasis in art history from California State University of Northbridge when she found herself with more time on her hands after her husband joined the U.S. Army in 2007. Along the way, she picked up crochet because it was easy to travel with and in the fall of 2010 made her first quilt. What started out as a way to be creative and stay busy turned into an obsession, and by 2011, she'd started a blog and a YouTube channel. She now has over 400,000 subscribers on YouTube with over 32 million views and has grown to include premium content on melaniesmakers.com, her website as well. After living in Alaska and Hawaii with the Army, she and her husband Robert, her kids, their rescue puppy, and her trusty studio cat now reside back home in Los Angeles, where they are both self-employed creatives and enjoy spending time with their kids and extended family in Southern California's amazing weather. Melanie Ham, welcome. Hi, Abby. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks, everybody. I'm so (laughs) so excited to be here today. Yeah, I'm so excited to talk with you. I've watched you on YouTube for a long time. So I feel like I know you. I know what your house looks like. I know (laughs) uh, that's what happens when we watch each other on YouTube. And so I'm really looking forward to hearing a little bit about your story and also a little bit about how you've made that platform work for you. So Um, So as I said in the intro, I know you were, you know, sort of interested in art in college and um, studied art history, but you weren't really a crafter, it sounds like, until you graduated and were an adult, which is sort of unusual. I feel like many people who are in this industry, you know, started out making quilts or knitting when they were six years old or something like that. But you learned as an adult, which is kind of encouraging for beginners who are just tackling, you know, learning to craft and maybe helps you relate to them a little bit better. So um, you took a class at Joann's in 2007? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was my first kind of introduction to sewing on my own. My mom sewed a little bit growing up, um, so I was sort of aware of it, um, and my grandmother sewed, my great-grandmother, so I sort of knew that it was in our family, I guess. But I never actually did it. My mom never really taught me. She worked full time. So it was something she wasn't really able to do very often. And so I, I had some time on my hands and I was so inspired by seeing uh, Amy Butler fabrics and Heather Bailey fabrics online. And I thought, oh, I would love to be able to make stuff with that. So I took a class at the beginning sewing class at Joanne Fabrics. That's great. I've actually never met anybody who that was their introduction, the beginning sewing class at Joanne's. So that's actually really good to know. (laughs) There are people who take that class and then take off and make this their career. Yeah, it was a great class. I highly recommend it. Um, It it was a great introduction for, for me. I think it gave me some of the skills that I needed to just like you know, get started. And I sort of just ran with it. That's the only actual like formal sewing class I've taken. I've done some workshops and things since then, but, um, it, yeah, it was great. And do you feel like, because you did learn as an adult, it does help you to sort of understand what an adult learner kind of needs? Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. I remember 
feeling all of these frustrations that um, I can anticipate them in a way when I'm teaching or when I'm sharing a tutorial and I, I sort of know or, and I remember what was frustrating to me. Um, and some of those little details that sometimes are skipped over in a tutorial because, you know, it's a fine detail and overall it may not matter so much, but um, it actually can really make a difference when you're frustrated and something's not working right. For example, um, I was free motion quilting a quilt, my first one, and I was just having a terrible time with my tension. And uh, it turned out that my bobbin was defective. So, you know, there's some of these things that I remember trying every single thing and I can list through all of those things and it turned out it was something really random and kind of weird. And so I can relate and I, I really understand what it feels like to not feel like you know what you're doing. Yeah. And how did you actually learn how to crochet? I took the I, beginner class at uh, Joanne again. Another one. Okay. So yeah. yeah. Okay. That's so awesome. I did. Yeah. That one, that one was a little trickier because I feel like it was only a two hour class and I feel like crochet takes longer than that um, because at first you really, your hands feel like Edward Scissorhands hands at first. You don't know where, where to put your fingers and the hook and it's really odd feeling. So, um, I didn't feel like I left that class really feeling very confident that I could make a scarf or anything. Um, but I guess it got me started and interested enough. Um, and I came home with my ball of yarn and, um, just that, that skill took me a lot more, uh, I guess, will mm-hmm. <laughs> on my couch and to was, sort of figure did, it out. Did you go to YouTube to find out or were you going to like blog tutorials or books? Um, no, not really. There were some blogs that I was looking up, but I found it really difficult to translate the pictures into what I was doing. Um, because crochet is a lot of motion to it. And, um, I, I found that hard and there weren't, there were some YouTube tutorials at the time, cause this was 2009. So there were a few of them out there. Um, but I ended up just sort of trying to figure it out on my own. Mm-hmm. Okay. Interesting. So, I mean, I just think it's interesting to hear how you learn and then how that translates into how you teach. Because essentially having a YouTube channel that's instructional videos is a form mm-hmm. of teaching online. So um, before we dig into YouTube, though, I want to stop for a second and talk about your family because you're, I feel like making video is a little bit of like a family business for you, which is really interesting. So your husband, who we referenced earlier, um, was in the army, um, and he is a filmmaker and your sister-in-law is also a YouTuber. So Mm -hmm. let's just start with your husband for a second. Can you describe what it is that he does? Sure. So, uh, in the army, he made short form videos for the U S army. So he did, he was a combat camera and did, um, uh, lots of, you know, stories about things that were happening, different missions they were doing, you know, he was deployed to Afghanistan in 2009. Um, that's why I learned how to crochet cause I was traveling all over the place that year. Um, but they, you know, he really did that for the army and he was, um, already into video before the army. So he sort of went in with that skill and, um, yeah, he was very successful doing that, um, in the army and then decided to go to USC film school. Um, thank you, GI bill. Uh, and so he got out of active duty and went to USC film school and graduated last May. Um, and now he's out of the military and he's working on a documentary right now. He's directing a documentary. Um, so that's what he's doing full time now. And we'll link to his YouTube channel so people can see. I just watched like the little um, clip at the beginning. That's kind of like the introduction to his YouTube channel. And mm-hmm. it kind of has a lot of different um, reels like um, kind of sewn together. So you can see what kind of get, get a taste for what kind of um, m- movies he was making when he was in the army. And it's yeah. really I mean, it's. I was like riveted. So I want people to, uh-huh. to be able to check that out and see, get kind of get a taste for that. And then, so let your sister-in-law, is that his sister? Yes. Okay. So she also is into film, which is funny. They have like a yeah. film family. <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Yeah. She's the one who encouraged me to start a channel. Um, she and her husband came to visit us when we were living in Hawaii 
And she saw I had sectioned off a spot in our living room and I, it was my own little creative space. And I had all my, my sewing machine and all my crafts and all my fabric and a little hutch. And, um, she, she was doing YouTube and she was about to quit her job and do YouTube full time. And she was like, you should start a YouTube channel. And she was telling me some of her experience and how it had been going for her. And she said, you're already doing all of this anyways. So, you know, put it on video and put it on YouTube. And she was the one who really encouraged me to do it. And she makes kind of like lifestyle, I would say sort of like women's interests, like more generally um, videos, yeah. like organizing your home. And, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then transition to that as she had children and had a a home to take care of. She sort of transitioned. Okay. Right. It's like domestic things. Um, they're really nice videos as well. And so did you have any resistance? I mean, I'm not sure whether you had had kind of on air, um, experience or drama, you know, were in plays when you were a kid or anything like that. So I wasn't sure, you know, if somebody said to me, Oh, you've got all this crafty stuff, you should do a YouTube channel. I'd be like, yeah, no, I don't do YouTube. <laughs> so did you, were you like, yeah, that sounds great. I love being in front of the camera or was there any oh. feeling of resistance? Oh yeah. A lot of resistance. Um, I sort of was like, Oh, like I thought it sounded cool because, um, I, I thought in the back of my mind, it could be something I could do and earn a little extra money, uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting idea that I could do from home with my kids. Um, I knew that I, in terms of like equipment, I knew I had everything I would need. I, you know, it wasn't like I needed to go out and buy a camera or buy a computer or, you know, we had the, the equipment that I would need. And my husband, you know, he does video. So that part of it wasn't scary to me. But the in front of the camera stuff was a big, big, big hurdle for me. I'm, you know, naturally kind of a reserved and shyer person and um, really trying to find how to have my personality come out on camera was really difficult for me at the beginning when I would do intros and outros for videos. Like no one could be home. Even my husband, I would make him go upstairs and like close the door because I was so embarrassed and I just was like, I just did it anyways and hoped for the best. (laughs) But every time I would hit publish and put that out on YouTube, I was like sweating and it was, it was a big thing for me to have to get over for sure. Yeah. And then watching yourself, you know, a lot of people, even people who come onto this show, they'll say, oh gosh, I don't know if I want to listen to myself. I cringe when I hear my own voice and that kind of thing. So, right. This involves editing the film and like putting the intro together with like maybe some music and then putting in the tutorial and probably editing out some pieces and putting the outro Mm -hmm. in. So you have to sit there and watch yourself over and over again in order to do that. Oh yeah. I I mean, I remember one video I was editing and I thought, man, can I please not say like every other word? You know, (laughs) you kind of start to critique the way that you say things or the ums and the ahs and the likes and the, you know, sort of those filler words that we put in. And, you know, I remember being really annoyed with myself because I was trying to take some of them out to make the video flow a little bit better. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a kind of a, you learn a little bit about yourself and there's definitely things you try to try to do to be on camera. And it's kind of a weird thing, but I think it's, it has really helped me to, um, come out of my shell in a little bit, you know, in a way I think. Yeah. And was there something that really motivated you to keep going? Because you know, that it sounds like that was actually a hurdle sort of being on camera and, um, sort of different from your natural personality, um, which is more reserved, but, uh, so you had to overcome that. And then there's, you know, editing and preparing and, you know, YouTube comments are not always the nicest. Some, you know, Mm -hmm. some people are just really rude on YouTube comments periodically. And so there's definitely things about it that are hard. And I'm just wondering if there was, you know, something that was, successful that really motivated you to say, Oh, I, I really do like doing this. And you know, that was awesome. And I want to do it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think at first, um, I started to put some content out and I got some really good feedback at first. And one of the things that was motivating me also was that online community. I'd been blogging for a little bit. I had a little Etsy shop. And so I I had a little bit, a very small online presence. Um, but you know, we lived in Alaska and then we lived in Hawaii and I, none of my friends really that I knew in Hawaii 
were uh, quilters or crocheters or, you know, I didn't have any friends really that I could talk to about that kind of stuff. I had actually, that's not true. I had one friend that I could talk to about sewing stuff, but I really wanted that community. And, um, I ended up teaching a class at a local, at a local quilt shop in Hawaii. So I ended up trying to find that community a little bit, but with the husband in the military, when he's traveling a lot, it's kind of difficult to have consistent plans. So, uh, having an online community was really helpful for me. And I loved seeing pictures of what other people were doing. And so I kind of craved that. And um, I felt like online video and sort of uh, putting myself out there in my own projects and maybe helping some other people who are beginners too. um, I felt like that was a good way to kind of create some community and like online friends that I can hang out with and and share some of these things that we're all learning together. Right. It's almost like you needed to be a person, like a persona, like a player in that, you know, community and that that was the main motivator. So by making your own content, it's like you're, you're a participant. Um, you've put something out, people can react to it. And um, it's a way to, to really make friends um, all over the world. I definitely can relate to that for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I really liked the process um, of, making the project and filming it and then editing it. I didn't, you know, sometimes now I find it a little bit tedious, but, uh, really I didn't mind it. And so I think that that didn't stop me, you know, that wasn't too much of a hurdle. I kind of liked the process. I sort of liked, um, trying to figure out how I could better explain things or how I could word this better. What camera angle is really going to show what I'm trying to do the best. So I didn't mind that kind of thing. I know that actually making a video is a, it's really intimidating to a lot of people um, and trying to figure all that those pieces out. Um, so that wasn't too bad for me personally. Um, okay. So that kind of did, that didn't stop me. It kind of helped me to continue also. And um, all of those videos, the early ones included, are still on your channel. So if people want to do, you know, go digging way back, they can yeah. kind of see where you got your beginnings. And I, I really appreciate it when people leave their, you know, sort of rough starts um, up on their blog, if it's the first blog post or their Instagram when they were first getting started or in this case in, on YouTube, because it's really, I think, very helpful to see the person's progression who now you might look at them and so admire, you know, their, how, how professional and um, how, it, how much they've achieved. But, you know, you'd be able to see like this rough video that was, you know, maybe poorly lit and only had, you know, this one camera angle and um, you made a bunch of mistakes or whatever and they're still there it's really helpful yeah yeah I have not deleted one video so they're all still there okay so that first one what was the first one about do you remember I don't remember I think oh yes I do it was um crochet okay it was like learning you know how to chain and how to um do your your single crochet, I think was the first one. Okay. Yeah. All right. And so what was your setup like at that time? And then tell us kind of what your setup is like now, as far as like equipment and lighting and sort of maybe even planning in advance of getting started. Yeah. So, um, then I didn't have any lights. I just used, thankfully in our, in my house where my sewing room was, there were two windows, um, kind of on, uh, you know, walls that were next to each other. So it kind of had light coming from two different directions, which was really helpful. Um, so I would film, I would always film during nap time because that was when it was quiet. And, um, the first video I, I wanted to film it so that people felt like they were sitting next to me with like while they were learning, like it was a friend that came over and they were crocheting next to me. And, um, as I kind of did more crochet, I realized, well, that's a nice idea, but you can't really see what I'm doing very well. (laughs) I really need to be closer on my hands and on those stitches to really be able to tell what's happening. So, um, I used my first camera was a T one. I Canon hand me down camera and it had HD video, but it didn't have the flip screen. So when I would set myself up in front of the camera, if I was in the shot, I would have to put tape down and sit there and like mess with my focus. So I'd have to go like back and see if I was in focus. And if not, I'd have to try to focus like on my chair and then go back and sit down and then test it again and see if I was in focus. That was like a really annoying thing that I was very happy when I got a camera that had autofocus, <laughs> um, which I now have, which is the Canon 70D. 
Um, and that camera, my husband actually won it in a video contest. So he gave it to me, which was really nice. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, and then my husband had a tripod. So I used that. Um, I just used the mic in the camera and I edited on iMovie. So, uh, now I have a little bit nicer camera I have a nicer tripod. I do have a, a ring light and several lights that I've just bought on Amazon. Um, and I use a Sennheiser and nice lapel mic now and I edit on premiere. So <clears throat> all of those things have sort of just slowly, slowly transitioned as I sort of got better at each one of the pieces. Um, you know, camera that you can get really close and really see good detail. Um, you know, but in the beginning, it was just sort of like, I'm going to teach you how I wish I would have learned when I was learning. And I think that that resonated. And, and some of those early videos still get really good views. So um, yeah, so I guess that's been the progression. I want to take a minute now to talk to the owner of Crosscut Sewing Company, today's episode sponsor. Here's Stephanie. My name is Stephanie Thiessen, and my business is Crosscut Sewing Company. Crosscut Sewing is a fabric shop and sewing studio located in Melrose, Massachusetts. We have a variety of sort of more fun and modern quilting fabric from manufacturers like Cotton and Steel, Art Gallery Fabrics, Robert Kaufman, Free Spirit, Andover, and Moda. In addition to quilting cotton, we offer a variety of apparel fabrics like denim, chambray, uh, jersey knit, canvas, corduroy, rayon, um, and flannel. Um, we also have a classroom, and sewists can rent the classroom by the hour and come and work here. Uh, we also sort of have a focus on teaching beginners to sew, and that's um, beginners of all ages. Um, we like to empower new sewers to build a lifelong relationship with sewing. We want it to be fun and not frustrating, so we have everything here that you would need to take a class or come and sew in the shop, so you don't have to bring anything if you want to come here. We have an after-school program that runs four days a week. Our adult classes are sort of an open format, so people work on different things and learn from each other and use machines that they might not have at home, like sergers and cover stitch machines. And how did you come to open a, a fabric shop? Because I think it's so many people's dream to open a fabric store. So it's always interesting to hear how somebody actually did it. Um, so it's kind of a funny story. I, I was a graphic and web designer and I was working from home. And with my extra time, I would make things and sell them online, um, like on Etsy and craft fairs and things like that. So then I started buying fabric wholesale and then I had extra fabric. So I sold the fabric online as well. And then I really started focusing on that. So I started as an online only business um, a few years ago. And then it was in November of 2016 that it the business was big enough to move into a retail space and um, start teaching as well. We are at 200 Green Street in Melrose and online we are at crosscutsewingco.com. The coupon code is WSN18 and that will take 20% off of fabric. Thank you so much, Crosscut Sewing. And now back to my conversation with Melanie. Right. And I think, you know, they, those early videos that maybe aren't so, you know, sleek, um, they still get really good views because the content is what people want the most when they're searching on YouTube. They want the answer to their question that they've searched for. And so that video answers their question, shows them exactly what they're looking for, even though it's not such, you know, high production value um, as far as like lighting or, you know, music or all of that kind of thing. Um, and so that's an, it's an interesting thing to think through when you are starting something that maybe you don't have to invest and all of those pieces of equipment that you just referenced, um, maybe just start out with what you can get, you know, easily or inexpensively um, enough to make something usable, you know. But um, then as time goes by, you realize, oh, this is what I need and just slowly um, upgrade mm -hmm. each part. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, I didn't have a smartphone when I started, um, but I mean, iPhones now, I mean, phones now have better cameras you know, than ever before. So you could easily start just doing that. And, and even the iMovie editor on your phone, you know, there's so much technology that's happened that if someone really wanted to make video and really wanted to share their experiences, their creativity, um, you definitely don't have to invest a lot up front. And then it's best to sort of like see how you like it and then slowly 
as you kind of progress to just add on from there. Yeah, absolutely. Because what also what works for one YouTuber may not work for another one because you have a specific way that you like to work and a specific kind of content that you need to present. And so it's hard to know whether you should believe somebody else's advice or whether it's going to really apply to your setup and your situation until you've sort of um, had enough experience to say, okay, here's my ideal. Then you go look for the product, you know? Yeah, absolutely. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It stops you you from wasting money and also from feeling like in order to do this, I need to make a huge upfront financial commitment, which is just Mm -hmm. not true. It's yeah. And I think that stops a lot of people or maybe it's a, uh, an excuse in a way to not sort of just get started. Uh, but yeah, there's definitely not, uh, there shouldn't be too much of a hurdle in that, in that regard. Exactly. Okay. So in December of 2013, you um, sort of decided to sort of, I'm going to put quotes around going full time with um, making YouTube videos. In order, in other words, sort of, I guess, put all your apples in that basket to say, this is my job. This is going to be for me. Um, and you had 100,000 subscribers at that time. And I'm wondering what that shift really looked like. In other words, like before you went full time and then afterward, what changed? Like, what changed in your behavior um, when it comes to your channel? Sure. So, before that, I definitely looked at it more as a hobby. So, um, although I was trying to be consistent, I was trying to grow my channel. Um, it's not like I just haphazardly came upon 100,000 subscribers, but you know, I definitely, it was the last sort of thing, you know, I, you know, my kids, my husband, my family, you know, that kind of stuff always came first. And then, uh, my, my hobby kind of came, although it was a very important part of my life. So I definitely prioritized time to do that. Um, but I didn't really look at it as a source of income. I started to earn money before that. And that was just like, Oh, sweet, that's gravy money. And I can buy supplies or uh, we can go out on a date night, uh, or things like that. I didn't really look at it as like, okay, this is what I'm doing. This is my job now. And I'm going to be looking at different ways to grow my business. I'm going to learn about business, something I did not know (laughs) anything about online marketing. So I, um, at that point in time, we were moving back to California, uh, for my husband to go to USC. And, um, I partially needed to earn a little bit if I could, it wasn't like a super essential thing, but I did, you know, that would be awesome (laughs) if I could figure something out. Um, so I decided, well, I'm already doing this. Let's do this full time. Let's really prioritize it as my job. So I would set aside certain amount of hours per day. Um, I started researching how to grow your online business, how to have an online business. I didn't even know what a call to action was or any of that. Like I didn't have an email list. You know, I didn't really look at it that way beforehand. So I was a little behind, so to speak, because I just didn't see it as a business. I saw it as a hobby before that. So um, I really sort of dove in to try to learn about uh, not only the creative side of only owning an online business, but the business side and sort of some of the other things that go along with it. Um, and I really went full on to grow it as a business. Mm-hmm. That's such a huge shift. And I remember I made a similar shift when my kids were younger than they are now and still needed childcare. Um, and sometimes I would need you know, um, to do some work while a a babysitter, for example, was here at the house. And I made this mental shift to say that that babysitter was here so that we could work. We meaning my husband and myself, like so that we could work. She was here, not so that I could have a break. Do you know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. that changed in my mind. That was a really big change. Like, um, I'm going back to work, even though really I am, you know, doing what I was doing last week, but I'm now doing it with a type of intention that's really different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's huge. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I, my kids were still little, uh, when I made that shift. So there was still a lot of like, well, I'm going to do my best in between, you know, but I did put my son in preschool, um, And, you know, so that I could help, you know, with that a little bit and sort of took people up on their offers. You know, we were moving back to California. So we had a lot of grandparents now, which we had never had since we'd had children. So 
it was amazing to have <laughs> grandma and grandpa and, you know, these people that love my kids to be, you know, hanging out with them and watching them so that I could get some things done. And then um, I actually homeschooled my son for kindergarten because I wasn't sure what our situation was going to be with my husband being in school. Um, and we, we started homeschooling first grade and I was just like, I can't, you know, homeschooling isn't like a, my passion. It was sort of like an in-between. I was, I didn't want to put my son in school and then take him out and move him somewhere else. Um, but we ended up deciding we were going to be here for a bit. And so I said, I got to put him in school because <laughs> I can't do all of this and try to work and things had been growing and I was earning more. And, um, so I, that helped a lot once he went to school and now my daughter's in school too. So I'm able to really sort of set aside the, the hours that they're at school and I'm like, I'm working during those times. So it's definitely a mindset shift for sure. And it was a, a big factor in being able to grow. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so for me, it, it means saying no to certain things. Like, um, I don't volunteer for, you know, the PTA, like I don't do, <laughs> I don't do that stuff. Like I'll bake mm-hmm. cookies, but I don't like go to the school during the day and volunteer. Like, I just can't do it. It's either that or I work like I, I can't do both things. So, yeah. um, so I say no to a certain number of things because I see, I feel like these hours that I have, during the day, those are my work hours. And just like showing up at a job, you can't just leave to go volunteer. You have to be at your job. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think there, you know, it's tricky sometimes because, you know, work from home. Um, I do have a flexible schedule and I love that I have a flexible schedule, but you know, a lot of people don't really understand, you know, like I consider myself a working mom, you know, I'm not a stay at home mom. I'm not a, you know, and and it's just sometimes hard to see that when you work from home and when my kids are my, I do like to do lots of things with my kids. I volunteer in their classes when I can. Um, but I do really have to focus and set aside those work hours to work because that's part of, you know, earning for our family and, um, and I love it and it's part of what I want to do. So, you know, there's, that's sometimes tricky because I, can do certain things during the day, but it's just, you know, making that those choices clear and and letting people know kind of what's going on. Yeah. I think it can even be more challenging too, because the work that we do when it comes to sewing and crochet and that and decorating, even that kind of thing, it is very domestic. And so it doesn't even seem like work even more. You know what I mean? It's like, not only are you working from home, but like you're making pillows for the couch. It's like, I know this doesn't look like work, but this is my job. Okay. It is so true. Yeah, it's confusing. I, I think it's confusing <laughs> for, for including people in my own family sometimes. Yeah. It's like, I this yeah. is mommy's job. I know it doesn't look like a job. Okay. Um, so <laughs> so um, you had one pill, um, envelope pillow video that I noticed had been watched over a million times, which is really remarkable. And it's a beginner project. It's like super beginner. Um, you know, it's an envelope pillow. So it's basically a front and like two back panels that overlap and you stick the pillow form inside done. Um, and I just wondered what it is you think about that video. Why, like why that video is so popular? You know, I think, um, it's doable for people. That's the video I send people to when they're learning how to sew. So when, when somebody messages me and they say, I'm, I just got a sewing machine. What do you recommend for my first project? And that's the video that I send them to. I, I feel like I need to do an updated video because it's older, but it's still really good. Like I, you know, I was like, well, I don't know if I should waste my time doing that because that video is still, you know, very clear and it's helped a lot of people. And I get, I still get photos and messages and people that tag me and stuff that are making that project. Um, so I think the, at the time that Chevron pattern was super in. So I think the thumbnail kind of grabbed some attention and, uh, I think that it's a, you know, it's a doable project. And even if you kind of flub it a little bit, like it's still going to turn out okay. So I think people are able to be successful with it. And, um, yeah, that, that one has done really well. And I think it's helped a lot of people, which is even cooler. Yeah. And the majority of people who are searching YouTube, um, are beginners, right? They're searching yes. for, and I think that that can be hard to, 
to grasp when you're thinking about making a video. I had a um, consulting client not too long ago, and she's like, you know, I really want to make a video about how to insert a zipper because I get questions about this all the time. And, you know, she's like super good at sewing. So she's like, I, I know I can make a great video about how to insert a zipper. But I looked on YouTube and there's already like hundreds or thousands of videos about how to insert a zipper. So I don't think I can do it. And, you know, it's like, well, yes, but your video can really, first of all, it's great for you and your brand, but also people still need that information. And I bet like how to insert a zipper is really common YouTube sewing search, um, you know, search term. Yeah. I feel like a lot of times it's validating in a way that there's already a lot of something out there because that means that there's lots of people that are looking for it. And there are a lot of people that are interested in that. Um, so I don't know that that's necessarily something to be afraid of. Uh, there's certainly lots of crochet tutorials out there now, and there's lots of scarf videos and hat videos and, and your take on it is, you know, your take on it. And so you're going to find an audience that really relates to the way that you share it or you show it or the types of fabrics that you use, or maybe you have a, a special way of doing something. And, um, I think that eventually you sort of build a tribe that begins to trust you and begins to uh, like your style or your aesthetic or your teaching style. And so, you know, I think that even though there's lots of content out there, you begin to have people that gravitate toward you that maybe don't gravitate toward other people. And there's, there's room, you know, there's room for all of us out there. I really believe that. And so um, I, I love that you can really kind of connect and just share your expertise and that it, it can help people online. Right. So even seeing that there's lots and lots of um, envelope pillow tutorials out there is actually encouragement and rather than discouragement regarding yeah. making your own envelope pillow tutorial. It just means that people really want it. And so mm -hmm. you can make it. Um, so that's a, a good way to look at it. And I know you've done some work with brands, um, both making like sponsored videos where they're paying you to use their product, for example, in a tutorial video um, or their tool or, or whatever it might be, but also in um, creating videos that you then give to the brand, kind of like work for hire, where mm -hmm. you make a video for them that they can then take and use on their own site or on their own YouTube channel or wherever it might be. So I just wondered if you'd want to talk a little bit about those deals, maybe how the first one came about and, um, and how you kind of approach doing sponsorships. Yeah, sponsorships, um, they are tricky because you really have to believe in the product. And um, I feel like there's... Uh, there's room for error on my part with some of those because I want my tribe to trust me, you know, so I say no to a lot, a lot. And I'm really particular about what I take on because my word is everything. And my, and I, I really, you know, I'm really particular about that. So, you know, I love working with certain brands and there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of creativity that can be had with if a brand says, oh, we'd love for you to use this yarn in a project. Just like let us know what you want to do. You know, different brands sort of uh, approach it differently. Sometimes they approach me and they reach out to me and then we can work something out. There have been times where I love a brand and I I reach out for, with them and, and see if we can work something out. Um, a lot of times it's just pretty organic. And, you know, I try... I don't always try to go after those too much while it is, um, the money is good. You know, sometimes you have to say certain talking points or you have to do certain things and there's a big, you know, there's an editing process and sometimes that can kind of kill the creative process for me a little bit. Um, at the same time, I love being able to share and promote the products that I love and I'm using anyways. So, you know, there's, there's a part where, you're, you're really sharing and you, you're helping the company and the company's helping you and you're helping the people when everybody wins. So those are the, the kind of brand opportunities that I like the most. Right. Cause you really need to think about yourself in that role 
as like almost like a freelance member of their marketing team. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So you have to sort of see yourself that way and think about whether that is what you want to be doing with your channel, you know? Um, so it's, it's, uh, yeah. And I'm wondering if you've, have you ever taken on maybe even early in this process, uh, a sponsorship that like, uh, as you were doing it or after it was finished, you were like, I'm never going to do something like that again. Like that was not yeah. fun. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, there's things that where I learned at the end, I was like, you know, I, that was, it was all right, but I'm not sure. I, I think in the next time we'll, I will change it and do this instead. Or, um, you know, sometimes the brand is very particular about what they want. And, you know, I, I there've been a couple of times where I've gone, gone, started to go down the road. And if a brand is really particular about what they want, I need to probably back out because they want to change my copy or they want to do, you know, kind of massage my stuff too much to fit their, um, agenda, which I understand completely. Um, you know, but there are times where, you know, I just have to make sure that I know where my boundaries are. And there have been a few times where, as I was learning all of these things that I let that boundary go a little further than I was uh, in the end as looking back, like, Hmm, you know, maybe next time I would do that a little bit differently. And that is, you know, one of the reasons why I started doing my premium courses and my paid courses and quilt alongs and some of these other things that I do, because I didn't want to have to rely on all of that. I didn't want to rely on brand deals in order to pay my bills. Um, so I, I wanted to be able to have a little bit more control and, um, work with the brands that I love, but not feel like I had to take that deal because I, I you know, I can't pay my bills without it. So I didn't want to feel that way. So that kind of helps to sort of make sure that everything is staying authentic and that my audience um, can continue to trust me and that they can know that what I deliver is my best. Right. Yeah. That's a great point. And do you work with a um, agency or anything like that? Or are you just sort of these, these um, sponsorships that you are still, you know, accepting, do they just kind of come into your email inbox or you're seeking them out? Or, you know, is there somebody like a middleman who you're working with to secure those? There, I do have a YouTube agency, Kim Community. They um, they help me with some things. It kind of depends. Sometimes they'll say, oh, well, you know, depending on how they worked it out or how the brand is working it out, I'll take it and continue it on on myself. Um, or, or sometimes if we don't really need Kim Community to be involved, because then they'll go over contracts and they'll help make sure that the deliverables are on time and they'll help make sure that all those things are in place. But sometimes it's not really needed. Um, so then they'll just say, oh, no, you guys can just continue, you know, uh, on your own. This is a pretty straightforward deal and I can handle it myself. Um, there's other ones that uh, that if my management company brings me the deal, that they have a lot more kind of things that they have to do for that. So then they take care of it. So it would be probably half and half that okay. I can't just handle it. And, but there is somebody that I have, if I'm concerned about a contract or I don't know, or I have a question that I can talk to, um, to get some clarification or get some advice. Okay. And that's somebody at King community that you can bring yes. that contract to, which is really yes. helpful because, um, just uh, anyone who's been doing this sort of work for any period of time knows you actually have to really read the contract and yes. understand what it means. Um, because I think all of us have signed things that later we were like, wait, what? There, what? Yeah. <laughs> I agree to what now? Um, mm -hmm. And that certainly happened to me. I think it's probably happened to everyone. And so you get, you know, wise and realize that you need to really yeah. understand it. Yeah, there's a couple things that's like now to look for, like who owns the content in the end? There's <laughs> right. a couple things, you know, I'm going to own it still, right? Let's let's just make sure that that's clear, you know, or things like that, that are like, no, no, this is these are the biggies that are really important. And these are the things that are, you know, just sort of preference. Right. And as your confidence grows too, you're not as, a, as afraid that if this deal falls through because you're insisting on a certain terms, you know, certain terms in the contract that that's the end of everything. Like, you know, life will, will go on. There'll be more opportunities. So yeah, you can. Exactly. There have yeah. been times where I, I've said my rate and, you know, a company's like, okay, well, that's not really in our budget. So we're going to pass on this opportunity. And it's just like, okay, that's awesome. And that doesn't mean that I should try to lower my rate to fit it in their budget. That just means that now I have time to do something else and more things will come along. 
Exactly. And also maybe down the road, their budget will change and they'll come back. So there's, you know, those opportunities are, that door is never shut completely. So I think totally. that, yeah, that's really helpful. Um, okay. And so you also sent out an email newsletter, which we talked about earlier, you were saying when you made that shift to becoming a full-timer um, and seeing this as your job rather than your hobby at that time, you did not have an email list and that now you do, you have a a newsletter you send out uh, twice a month called Cali Stitching, Cali being like California, um, mm-hmm. where you live. And you have a lot of subscribers. I think it was like up above 20,000 or t- above 25,000. Mm-hmm. So can you talk yeah. a little bit about your email newsletter and sort of why it's important to your business or how you use it and how much you think uh, it contributes to your business's success? Yeah, you know, email communication is just you know, I didn't know that it was so important when I first started and getting an email, like capturing it. I'm like, what? Like, I know that's a thing, but like, how do you do that? And, um, I started, uh, a mad Mimi account and initially I would just send out my blog posts as an RSS, um, in the earlier days. And just to, just to be clear, mad Mimi is like an email service provider that you can pay for. And, um, they send the emails out that you, um, write, uh, to your list. And also, um, an RSS feed is just basically a feed that automatically pulls in whatever content is on the site that you give it and then sends that out to people. So that would be every blog post would go into basically an email that would be sent out automatically to your subscribers. Yes, exactly. Thank you for clarifying. Um, so I, as I was sort of learning about online marketing and email marketing, I kind of, I stopped doing that because I didn't want people to just be like, oh yeah, another blog post. Like it was too, it was, there's nothing special about it. You know, I kind of wanted, you know, you could come to the site, you could get it in your email. I don't know. I just didn't really love that, uh, part of it. I didn't want people to get immune to my emails. <laughs> I wanted people to read my emails when they went into their inbox. So, um, I sort of transitioned. I did, I did a newsletter earlier and then I sort of got away from that. And then I recently restarted the newsletter. I've been bad. I need to send out a newsletter. I got a little, uh, slow over the holidays, but the newsletter is a place where I can kind of compile everything and send it out. It's something that's of value. It serves my audience. They open it because it's special. It's not, you know, every single blog post is going out. Um, hopefully there's some information in there that it's some of my recent projects, some recommendations, some um, maybe a new course I have for sale. Um, I have some affiliate links in there, so it can also help to generate some income. Um, and I feel like that is a email is such a great way to communicate with people. Not everybody's on Facebook, not everybody on Instagram, not everybody's checking all these platforms every day. And so this is still the way to communicate with the people that really want to know what's what you're doing and what you're coming out with. And um, I think that a newsletter is a great way to sort of like put all of that together. And then I also do other emails and other, uh, if I have a new course or like I'll like a sales email or just like a, Hey, how's it going email. Um, but the newsletter is something that's really valuable. And I think that the audience, um, really relates and likes that. Yeah, absolutely. And those people are golden because you can reach them directly. So when you do have a sale or a new course or something like that, at least I found it, that's it's such an effective way to um, to get those customers who might want it the information they need to get it. Um, so it really it's really really helpful. I've had people too that save them and then go back and refer to them later too. So it can also be a good way to sort of bookmark things. Um, and, and kind of come back to it. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So, okay. So we've got all of your income streams. You have cor- the courses, which we're going to talk about in a moment. Um, you have the sponsored content, which we already discussed. Um, and then you have affiliate revenue, which, you know, if you're using a certain product or something like that in a video, you can put that affiliate link in the um, notes below the video and people can click over and you make a little cut of each of those sales. Um, mm-hmm. And then you have um, YouTube ads and how is the ads part of YouTube going as far as like, does that really generate enough revenue? Yeah, it does. I mean, it has to add up, you know, so I have like over 200 videos now. So all of that combined, especially in quarter four. So that would be like October, November, December, those months are the highest. So the highest ad dollars, they're the most views, um, just sort of the natural 
progression, especially in the kind of creative crafty community. That's the time where a lot of people are, it's winter, it's Christmas, it's um, that time of year where people are gifting. Um, so the numbers of everything go way up. And so the ad revenue is substantial. It is, a, it is definitely a, a part that's really nice to get, but it's also, it, it changes. Um, quarter one is notoriously bad for Google ads on YouTube. So there's definitely a dip. Um, and it's also a dip in views as well. So, um, that it's not consistent amount of money. So it's difficult to sometimes rely on, but mine is, you know, um, consistent enough that it definitely is, you know, a, a decent portion of my overall income. Okay. So it's a piece of the puzzle that is a, a good size piece. Um, yes. So let's talk a little bit about courses. So courses are essentially like a, as far as crafty courses are a, like a pattern for something, which is usually like, like a PDF and then a series of videos that walk the students through, um, through how to make the the pattern and then um, sort of a Q and a uh, function so that you can answer questions when students are working their way through. Um, and this is almost like, it's almost like YouTube in that it, it's like video tutorials, but it's like a premium level because you're paying as a student for, for more information as well as for access to the teacher. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And you have a couple of those and some new ones coming this year. Um, and they're hosted on your blog. Is that right? Well, they, they're hosted on the premium site that has the secure login and, and all that. So that's melaniesmakers.com. Um, and then my blog is my name, melaniekham.com. Okay. So there, there you can get to both from each other. Okay. Got it. <laughs> but yeah. And, and the premium you- site has to have all of the security for, you know, payments and logins right. and all of that stuff. So Okay. And do you feel like this was a really good move for you? Like you were saying, it sort of frees you up from being dependent on other brands. Money um, maybe, you know, allows you to have more consistent income than ads um, or, you know, it it just kind of gives you some control, some independent control of what's going on. Yes. Yeah. This, it's been a game changer for me personally, to be honest. And it's something that, um, it's more consistent. I have more control over it, but I can also dive deeper and help my makers more. So I can do series of videos. I can break things down into smaller bits. We can, we can add a video. If someone's feeling frustrated about a certain part, I can make them a video and put it in the, in the course, you know, or I can, I can respond to their comments a lot easier. It's, you know, on YouTube, it's really difficult to respond to all of those comments. And most of them don't, you know, they don't even check their messages that they got a reply or don't really care that much. So the people, I really want to prioritize that kind of interaction on people who really need that extra kind of, um, help, you know, just to kind of get, be more successful. And I can, I can go a lot deeper. I can be more thorough. I can be more helpful. So I feel like it's a better way to sort of take care of my people. And, um, I've really enjoyed doing that. I have a quilt along that I usually do one or two times per year with actually the group and we all do it together. And then um, I'll close it down and I'll reopen it later on because all that content is there. So then I'll open it back up for people to purchase it. But um, I'm not actually doing it with them. But all the content is there. Um, there's smaller, you know, really easy quilt tops. There's some crochet ones. So there's a uh, there's varied courses that are available and I can kind of tailor them to take care of my tribe as best that I can. So I've loved that part of it. And you've also added doing Facebook live as well, which Mm -hmm. is a whole, we're talking about sort of all these different applications of basically teaching online through video. So um, what do you like about doing Facebook live and how does it compare to doing YouTube? Facebook live I love Facebook Live because it really has the ability to connect with your audience real time. So you can answer their questions right then and there. They can see you and they can connect with me in a way that's not edited. So on YouTube, all my videos are edited. If I say something goofy, like I edit that out. (laughs) Or if I mess something up, then I edit it out and I make it really streamlined because that's sort of better for that platform. But Facebook Live, it 
adds this sort of community interaction. We're hanging out, we're chatting, we're at, you know, coffee. I'm going to show you how to do something. And then I'd love to hear what you guys are working on this week. And sort of that um, live interaction. I've messed up before on live video or, you know, the dog has come in and knocked something over. And that's part of like the charm of it being live. It's like, you're a real person and we can talk and we can talk about fun, crafty, creative stuff. And it's just a really fun community. And I love doing that. And, um, my group has responded really well to it. And I can also, uh, if I have a new course available, I can make it available on the live stream and that um, it's almost like a webinar. So it kind of can help with some income generation as well. Right. So you're saying that you can kind of put the link to the new course um, in a comment right below the Facebook live stream so people can hear about it from you directly on the live stream and then click over and purchase the course. Right. And they can ask me questions about it. It's showing what I, what it is, what I, how I did it, what you get for it, what I made, here's what we did. And then people can ask me, well, does it have this? Does it have that? And I can answer them directly. So it makes it so that people really understand exactly what's happening. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And um, I wondered if you could just give us, I, I have two more questions. One of them is just to give us some um, general tips for YouTube success. So um, if someone is kind of wanting to dive into YouTube now, um, you're a YouTube veteran, you've been on there for a long time, had a lot of success. So, um, maybe tell us what like a channel trailer is. And that was actually the word I was hunting for earlier when I was talking about your husband's YouTube channel and how you can kind of watch his channel trailer, which is the beginning <laughs> little piece there. Um, so tell us what that is, why it's important and maybe other couple other like sort of basic YouTube tips that people should know about. Yeah. So YouTube is, YouTube changes all the time. Um, so there's different ways that, you know, people say to optimize things, but at the, at the base level, the bottom line is, um, video that you can see and that you can hear. So make sure your camera isn't shaking. You know, if you're using your phone, put it on a tripod so that it's still, um, make sure you can hear you. So even if you're using the phone's microphone, um, you know, make sure it's quiet. There's not like crazy noises happening in the background, um, so that you can, be as clear as possible and talk um, so people can hear you and see what you're doing. So those are kind of the big things. Try to edit things down to make them very succinct. A lot of times shorter videos do well on YouTube in terms of like getting started. And then you can go a little bit longer because watch time is really important on YouTube. So the more watch time you have, the more things will rank. Um, So then longer videos aren't necessarily a bad thing. Just make sure that you're kind of trying to keep people all the way through and they're not dropping off too early. Um, that's something to sort of keep in mind and to be consistent. Um, that's something that's really difficult for a lot of people, but if you can at least create some sort of a a schedule, um, or be at least, even if it's just one a week or one every two weeks, just so that there's constantly maybe something new that just came out or is about to come out. And that helps to sort of create a community that's expecting new content from you. Um, also channel trailer is really good to introduce people to your channel and what you do. Mine's a couple of years old now. I am, I have plans this year to make a new one. Um, but it just kind of gets an introduction and it encourages people to subscribe to your channel. And once they subscribe, then they'll get maybe an email if they've opted in for that, an email when you have a new video that goes up or they'll get a notification when you have a new video. So it helps to, doesn't necessarily mean that all those people are going to watch your videos, but there's a bigger chance that they will so that then you can get engagement, you can get questions, comments, thumbs ups, um, shares, and all of that sort of engagement that's really important to help your video rank and also to help kind of build a community on YouTube. That's great. And I subscribe to lots of YouTube channels and I really encourage people to do that because you'll enjoy YouTube as a user more if you subscribe to channels. So whenever I watch a video that maybe somebody linked to from Facebook or, you know, I I read about on a blog and clicked over to watch and I like it, I will then subscribe to that that, channel. maker's channel. And that way, you know, when they, when I go over to YouTube, you can just scroll through your subscriptions and the, the latest video made by all of the people you've 
subscribe to will show up. So that's very helpful to me. And, you know, I like to link to a video in my newsletter each week. So I will just go over there and be like, well, what's new? And then I can see what Melanie's Mm -hmm. made because it pops right up. Yeah. It makes it easy for people to come back and to not lose you amongst all of the other channels that are out there. Yeah, I love it. Um, And I also, my last question was, before we get to your recommendations, I heard um, an interview that you did somewhere else where you said a phrase that I absolutely love. So I wanted to see whether you would tell us a little bit about it. So you said um, your phrase was, um, have your yes be yes and your no be no. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I really believe in um, your word and that when you say you're going to do something, you got to do it and like really do it and give people everything that they have paid for that they, you know, whether that's your family or your, um, your business. And, and then when you say no to something, it's okay to say no. And that's a, it's a no. And it kind of helps to create these boundaries. And it's from a Bible verse. Um, but it's something that I really feel like helps me to sort of, um, have integrity in my business and integrity with my family and to, um, you don't have to say yes to everything. Please don't, please do not say yes to everything because you'll just drive yourself crazy. Um, and it's okay to say no and it's okay to focus and prioritize, um, and just like give people everything that you possibly can when it is a yes, when they've invested in you, when you've invested in them just to give them everything to over deliver and to really like, you know, bring it home and, and, um, just do the things that you say you're going to do. That's great advice. Okay. Here's your recommendation. So the first one was Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert, which it sounds like you, um, listened to on audiobook. Yes. Um, I listened to this, I was painting my daughter's room, uh, this past week. And so I was uh, listening to this book on audio while I was doing that. Um, and especially the first half, I thought there were some really great nuggets in there about creativity and inspiration. And, um, I just, I thought it was really kind of fun to listen to and to sort of think through creativity and having, you know, one of the things she says is she, uh, a lot of times tor- you know, quote unquote, tortured artists, you know, people say that they are a genius. Um, and in the old days, we used to refer to it as they would have a genius. And so sometimes even thinking about certain things like, um, your genius can kind of, um, it's not necessarily part of you and you can separate yourself from it and just make something and not have so much pressure on yourself because people say you're a genius, um, Mm -hmm. you know, with some of these amazing artists and there are just some little nuggets that, you know, that the way that she sees things about inspiration, I just thought it was really, you know, it was fun to listen to. It was just like, it was a, it was a treat. Mm -hmm. Okay. Good one. And you also signed up and I love this for, Hula and Tahitian dance lessons, um, yeah. which you said is something new and scary. Yes. Oh, so scary. So scary. Um, we had a recital in December and I was, you know, quite nervous about standing up there in my coconut bra, you know, <laughs> <laughs> with all my hula sisters, you know, we're like, you know, just you know, all most of us are moms and, you know, it was just it's been really fun. My, my daughter was born in Hawaii. And so she really connects with Hawaiian culture and she just loves everything Hawaiian. And so, um, she wanted to take hula lessons. So I found a local place that had them. And so I signed her up and the class right after hers is a lot of the moms that do it too. And they take classes, you know, hula classes. And my, my daughter was begging me to do it. And I thought, okay, like I kind of don't want to, but it kind of looks fun and it would be an extra workout for the week. Uh, so I did it and it turned out that I really liked it. It's like a family. Everyone's so friendly and nice. And, um, I've been really enjoying doing it and it's been fun to be creative in a different way. I feel like it sort of makes my brain sort of switch to something else that's still really fun and creative and it's music and it's dance. Um, so it's just been really fun. I think it's helped me personally and helps my business, um, to like even just grow in another area of life. Yeah, that's awesome. That's really, really good. So, okay. And your last one were products by Clover and I love their products too. They're, they're crafty products. Yeah, I love Clover. They've been really great um, to me. They send me stuff all the time and they're just a really nice company to work with. And um, 
I love their products. <laughs> that helps. Um, and, and I reach out and I ask them, I say, I need some more pins. You know, I want to do some giveaways. And they're always super, super generous with that kind of stuff. And they're, you know, if anybody's ever asking me like, oh, I want to get some um, sewing supplies or whatever. And I say, well, if they have Clover, go with that. Um, it's a good place. It's a good trusty brand. Um, and there's lots of other great brands that sell similar things too, but it's sort of like a go-to. Like if they have it, I probably will reach for theirs. Okay. That's a good one. Thank you so much. Well, Melanie, thank you for taking the time to be on the Walsh and Apps podcast. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much for having me. And you've been listening to the Walshy Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. Visit my blog, walshynaps.com, where you can sign up for my email newsletter to get the best in sewing, blogging, and small business delivered right to your inbox each week. Today's episode was sponsored by Crosscut Sewing Company. Located in Melrose, Massachusetts, or online at crosscutsewingco.com. Crosscut offers fun and modern fabric for all of your sewing projects. In addition to quilting cotton, Crosscut offers a variety of apparel fabrics like denim, chambray, jersey knit, canvas, corduroy, flannel, and more. So go use the code WSN18 to save 20% on your next fabric purchase and treat yourself to something. Thank you so much, Crosscut Sewing. And if you enjoy the show, tell a friend about it. Thank you so much, and I will see you next time.